Good morning, Burlington Baptist Church. You know how long I've been saying that? 16 years. It never gets old. Uh, This week is one of those weeks that I have to recover from. We just got back with the youth yesterday evening from Centrifuge. We were in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. I always say that when I go down there, I'm there to witness to all the unbelievers, which are the Duke and the North Carolina fans, but they never seem to find it as humorous as I do. Um, This week at Fuge was incredible. Um, It gave me a lot of introspection in my own life, a lot of tears that were shed, a lot of laughter, a lot of things I can't tell you because the parents would get mad if they knew. Um, but being the youth pastor every year when I come back from that, it just rekindles that belief that I have in my heart. This week at Fuge, we were a part of 1,200 high school students, middle and high school students. If you have one, you know that 1,200 is way too many. I have three. All right. So we walk into the place, when you register, you go through the dining hall, you have to wait in these long lines, but it's all worth it because as you sit there and you go through the process at Fuge this week, we happen to be a part of what is now the record setting for Fuge with not just the number of kids that were there, the 1,200 in a week, but for the fact that they had to hire more staff people for these weeks of Fuge than they've ever had at any of their Fuge camps. We had 56 or 57, actual Bible study leaders. And what they do is they break all the kids down into groups. Some of them are doing infuge. We usually do that because um, our students are just, whenever we go somewhere, they say, well, let's go do something for somebody. So infuge provides us that opportunity. But all the times that I come back from camp and all the times that I get to share, I always am ask about the status of the church. What's the status of the church going to be? Because if you were to believe all of the reports on television, all the articles in the newspaper, all of the postings on Facebook, there is no help for this next generation. But I'm going to tell you that I am secure in the belief that there are students that are being raised up by God that are going to make a difference for His kingdom. Did somebody say, I hope so? I know so. Because here's the thing. When youth get, get ready to worship, we're in a building similar to our shape. It's long. And the praise band starts. They all run to the front. And it's a sight to see with all their hands raised, tears pouring down their face because they are in the moment where they are rationally and realistically meeting Jesus Christ face to face. And I'm going to tell you as a youth minister, that makes my job a whole lot easier because when anybody's heart is softened, whether they're 50 years old, 15 years old, or 150 years old. When Jesus prepares the field for planting, 
There's nothing you can do about it. And I was excited, and if you notice that, if you have that old person site Facebook like I do, I post out there that I was excited about this sermon series. And I am because if you sat there this week, and thank goodness I didn't have a television, because the reports that we were getting about stuff that's happening, and then the woe is me kind of attitude, what are we going to do, this is the end, and, uh, and the rumors of all the, the stuff that's going on. I read the back of the book, this one, and I know I have a job to do while I'm here, and I've got to be about that. But this book says that we win. If you haven't gotten to that part, go home this week and read the whole New Testament because it says over and over again, we win. But the trick is that winning's not enough. All these things that we're hearing swirling around puts me in mind that I want to win big. And that means if there's somebody out there that's suffering and they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they question the purpose of the church, if they look at us as a, a group of people that just want to sit in here and pass judgment, or whatever, we need to be the ones that break that stereotype. Because as long as they can say that because that's what they see, we're the ones that are guilty. So today, why am I excited about the church? Because the church gives me so many memories in my life. Let me start off with one. I told this one in the early service that growing up as a pastor's son, my father being a pastor for 35 years in the same church, which was an absolute blessing. Because I had people that poured into my life and those same people still message me and talk to me, and they're still praying for Kendra and I and our family and our ministry. When they set us out 16 years ago to come to Burlington, I had so many of them saying, we know that's where you're supposed to be. We're praying for you, and they haven't stopped. That's a reason why I love the church. Because I know that when I walk the hallways coming up here to preach a sermon, or if I'm walking across the parking lot, or if I'm going down the aisle and I see one of you, there's not a time that passes where you're not asking me about how I'm doing, how the church is doing. You come up and ask questions that just blow my mind like, is there somebody that needs something that you know about? Because I want to do something for somebody. That's why I love the church. But now... I have to be fair. There are people that don't love the church that walk in these doors every week. When I was thinking about this week, I said, what are some of the excuses that people would have for not liking the church? Especially if they keep coming every week. And I came up with a couple. One of them is, I have to get up so early. Jeff, don't you realize that I had to get up and drive a long way for that UK game yesterday? I need to sleep in today. Oh, no, people would never do that. They'd, they'd never take a day off after a sporting event to recoup. 
How about this one? I never get there in time to get the type of donut I like. <laughs> Listen, guys. I threw this offer out in the first service. I'm going to throw it out for you. At 645, I leave the house every Sunday. I will meet you here in the parking lot and take you to Kroger with me at 7 o'clock. You can help me pick out the donuts, okay? If you've got a certain, because I can't tell you how many times I walk in. No, that's not, the, I don't, you don't have anything that I like. I'm sorry. It's a donut. <laughs> Go get an Egg McMuffin. I don't know. Bring me one too and a large sweet tea. No. But you hear that kind of stuff. And one of them I shared in the first service of why I don't necessarily like church. And I had to apologize to Kent because I did not put this in here. I didn't. But somebody got in my computer and wrote, you know, it's because of Kent and that banjo thing. I don't know what they meant by that because personally, I love the banjo. I do. All the way down to Fuge, I had purchased a Ricky Skagg CD and I kept on punching Uncle Pin, Uncle Pin, Uncle Pin. Yesterday on our way back, I punched it in. Everybody in the van knew the words to Uncle Pin. Most of you don't even know who Uncle Pin was. But seriously, there are some reasons why people do love the church. And these are the things that thrill my heart as a pastor. When a person walks up to you, you know what I really love about our church? Because my kids can't wait to get there on Sunday morning. Now, you guys didn't notice as Kent's sitting at the piano and he's telling you about what happened in the first service about me being on cloud nine and I was. I have to apologize to Pam publicly because going into the first service, I looked at her and she always accuses me of having something in my sermon that's going to make her cry. And I looked at her and I said, nothing is in my sermon that's going to make you cry. Then the invitation comes and Brooklyn comes out and walks down here and I'm a blubbering idiot and I'm crying. Sorry, but it was worth it, okay? So when I think about the church and I think about people bringing their kids, I want their kids to be here. I want there to be a reason. I want them to feel like I do. And I'm not going to ask for raising of hands on this, and maybe it's because I'm a preacher's son, but any time that I ever went on a vacation in the summertime, we didn't miss church. And I'm not, that's not an indictment on anybody that takes a Sunday when you're on vacation. I completely understand it. But my father wasn't raised that way. And we were always in a church. And God had a great way of getting back at him. I can remember being in Myrtle Beach 12 years in a row. In all 12 years, we went to a different Baptist church and everything, or the same thing happened to him every church. When the pastor finds out another pastor's in the audience... He brings them up to make them share or pray. And so Dan would be out the back. He said, I can't go to church. Not again. I can't get a day off. I'm sitting there going, you know what? Maybe you ought to quit walking into the place in which you work. <laughs> How about this one? And somebody walk up to me and says, you know what I love about our church? I can see Jesus in everything that we do. And I know that going back to my last sermon about the scoffers, the people on the end, there are people that would look at us and say, you know what, it doesn't look like Jesus in everything that we do. 
And I have to tell you in this sermon, we're going to have to talk about the fact that sometimes we have to go through the pain and the struggle to see what God's plan is. And when we get through it and we're on the other side of it, we just kind of just drop our mouths and we're just in awe because he's been in control the whole time. I do see Jesus in everything that we do, not only in this church, but the church in large. I know that they're interested in teaching us how to share our faith. And I couldn't be a youth minister unless I throw that in there. And it's not about me. But I got people like Ella Weese. I got people like Kim Kimman. Mary Ann Stork, Steve Lilly, John and Stacy White, Amber Flurlidge, Jessica and Kevin Keefe. And that's not to throw people's names around. I know I, I, I even throw Kendra in there. And the thing that those students come and tell me is, is all those people, when I need them, Steve and Sherry Lilly pour their lives into kids, not just because they have kids. And it really does something to me to understand the fact that God has placed people in those lives of those kids. And they're teaching them not just the Bible stories, but they've got to do something with that faith. And that's so awesome. My voice, or the scripture that I'm using today is found in the book of Matthew. It's in chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as I read God's Word. The section is known as Peter's Confession of Christ. It said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Jesus asked, said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by the Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, so many emotions, so many labels, so many titles. All those things are being thrown about your church. And Father, you never promised us that with salvation comes an easy road. As a matter of fact, you pointed out the fact that the road grows harder. And we know the enemy. We know that Satan works every day in whatever he means he can to bring down your church. But as all of us in this room know, that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we win this battle. So in this time today, we just ask that you speak to us. 
Let us fondly remember those moments of why we love the church, not just Burlington, but the entire church. The blessed institution that Jesus Christ set the foundation for. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I think about the church and I think about growing up 35 years as a preacher's son in one church, it was awesome, but I'm going to tell you why I love the church and some of them aren't biblical. Number one is my brother and I would contract with the church. Basically, we didn't get any money. What we just did was we wanted to have fun. In our lower basement, outside our fellowship area, we had this long hallway at Main Street. And it was a tiled floor. And my brother worked on the cleaning crew, the painting crew at Campbell County High School during the summer. So my brother knew everything. And I usually use that when I reference Calvin. He knows everything about cleaning floors. And he would tell dad, hey, Jeff and I are going to go wax the floors. And dad go, oh, well, that'd be great. You know, they need to be done. You know, we didn't have a Jim Dickerson who was up here and taking care of the place. So we'd go over there and we live right next door and we'd roll into the place. And the first job is hot, soapy water. And we would do it all the way down that hallway and we wouldn't mop it up right away. We would start out in the back parking lot where the two doors opened and ran as hard as we could. And we would dive on our bellies. And we would slide down that, that waxed, soapy mess. And the only problem about the whole thing was the door on the women's bathroom at the end. The trustees have picked the biggest piece of wood they ever could. And every time I would slide and hit my head, and that's why I'm brain damaged or Dane bramaged. I'm Dane bramaged that way. We'd hit that. But I love the church. And in our stupid little way, it was one way that my brother and I could give back to the church because we'd go over and wax the floors. Even before that, I loved the church. I loved our church on days when we had baptisms. Because when everybody would clear out and dinner was done next door, Jeff knew where dad had the key and I'd walk back over. And usually Sunday night about 6 o'clock when we rolled into church for Sunday evening church, that was a time for all you people that don't know what Sunday evening church was. You had training union or you had some kind of discipleship program beginning and then you had church at 7 o'clock. Believe it or not, we had church at 7 o'clock. But we'd walk in there and my dad would look where the choir chairs were and he could notice that there was a difference in the color. And that was because they were wet. I love the church because I got to go swimming. Oh yeah, cannonballs and all, you know. And, and in my defense, the only reason why is because the deacons and the trustees never saw fit to build my brother and I a swimming pool. So, you know, as we lived in that parsonage all those years, you had to swim somewhere. So many fond memories of the church. And while I can sit there and laugh, I can tell you stories. I can, no, I can't. I can't tell you those stories. I think there's still some statute of limitations that need to pass. Um, I think it's really the reason why it was never a big deal for me to go into ministry. Because I understood what the church stood for. 
I shared that I still have people at Main Street that pray for me. I've also shared the fact that you guys do it for me. It is the thing that bonds us together. Not as Burlington Baptist Church, but a body of believers because we understand what Jesus Christ was asking in this moment. He was trying to make sure that at that moment, the disciples understood the gravity of accepting the challenge to build and carry on his church. It's lasted this long. And the church has done so many things great over these thousands of years. And we've pushed through and we've persevered and we've reached the masses. We've had the great saints lead us, the Spurgeons, the Billy Grahams, who have shared Jesus Christ's gospel, not because it was personal gain, but because it was gain to the kingdom. So when people ask me how the church is, I don't stutter and I say, we're okay. We're okay because God's in control of it. God's plan is a masterful plan. We might not see it at the moment. We sure don't see it in these days that we've just gone through. But Christ has not left the throne. Why do I love church? I love the church so much because there are people that have to make bold choices in their life when it comes to the church. One of those persons was William Borden. Borden milked the family that did that. And I'm stealing this illustration because it was such a wonderful illustration. My friend Rob Turner, who's at Apex Church in Dayton, used this one this week. And I don't think that there's a better way to describe exactly what it means to be sold out and understand that you love the church so much. But William Borden in the early 19th century. Graduated from high school. And as all wealthy families do, they sent him out on an around-the-world cruise. If you are my children, don't even ask. You're not getting that, okay? But William Borden loaded on a boat with some friends, and they began to travel around the world. While he was gone... He encountered people that did not know who Jesus Christ was. He encountered people that did not have any hope in their lives. Poverty stricken, struggling because of the world in which they were brought up in. And upon his return back to the United States, he opened up his Bible and he wrote, No Reserves. He wrote that to remind him of what he was planning on doing. He went and talked to his father and said, I'm not going into the family business. I believe that God has a greater plan for my life. His father sent him off to Yale. When he got to Yale, he had this fire burning inside of him. All the people from his local church that had poured into his life, all the people that God had brought into his life about sharing Christ, this passion that he had 
He knew that he had to go out and do something. So when he got to Yale, he started a Bible study. And at the end of his freshman year, of the 1,200 students that were enrolled at Yale, 100 of them were in his Bible study. At the completion of his senior year, there were 1,000 people in his Bible study of the 1,200 people. See, he had a gift, a gift that the church has, a gift that we have, a gift that I've seen poured out so many times from Burlington Baptist Church. We, we turn and look at the community. And we sit there and we know that the people out there that might be broken and far away, they're our family. They're our friends. They're trying to navigate the same kind of course that we were until we found who Jesus Christ was and the difference he could make in our lives. And Borden knew that. Upon his graduation, he decided that he was going to go to Egypt. And before he left, he took his Bible back out. And he said, no retreat. Put it right back there. He got to Egypt and he began to study the um, Islamic and Arabic languages. He started to delve into the culture and learn. And when he was there, he was stricken with meningitis. And a young man in his early 20s that had the plan and the power and the passion to do what God had called him to do to reach other people soon died. But before he died on his deathbed, he wrote one more passage in the back of his Bible. And that's no regrets. Church, we can't be ashamed of what God has called us to be and do. Church, we have to look at every opportunity as a gift from God. That means when you go to work or you walk down the aisle of a grocery store, when you sit at a dinner table with somebody that's in your family and they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not that confrontational thing. You've got to love them to death and accept them with all of their faults and all of their struggles because until they find Jesus Christ, how are they ever going to understand that his plan is a perfect one. And then he wants to walk alongside of them. The most important question for William Borden was, who is Jesus? Just like Peter got asked. Every one of us has to answer that question for ourselves. But being the church doesn't mean that we just get to walk in here on Sunday morning and sit in the pew. And then get up and wait for the next week. It's not what it's about. Do you know that every January we receive a phone call in the office? It's one of our local nursing homes. And they will always call us and ask us, would you come and do the services for us, for our people? 
And I can't tell you why. Well, yeah, I can. I can tell you why, because this is what God always lays on my heart to share. You have people that are suffering such ends to their life. They have such disabilities and struggles and medical problems, and they're in wheelchairs, and half of them, you know, they're, they're just in bad way. But it's instantaneous that when we begin to bring the Word of Christ to them, and the thing that I challenge them with is, your job's not over. If you're a believer, your mission field might have changed, but your job's not over. And just as soon as we enter into that, there seems to be a growing spirit because their heads will start to come up and they'll look at me. I said, you still have a job to do because you know that there are people that are in this home every week. You know there are families that are broken and struggling with where their family member is. All the pain and all the struggling, you've got a job to do. And do you know what I get? Amens. Amens from the people that physically probably can't do it as well as anybody else, but they're not willing to give up on it. Why do I love my church? Because we don't give up on it either. And it's more than just promising to pray for somebody. We get out and do. In Matthew 20, 17 through 19, We have a scripture verse, Pete, that one. It says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took a 12 aside and he said to them this, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Whenever I think about this piece of scripture, it reminds me the fact that my Savior made a promise to me that he kept. I can't say that for other people in my lives, even my wife. She has promised so many times that she'd take me to my favorite restaurant when we get home. She's just too tired to do it. I don't know why you do it, but... Uh. But promises on the earthly side, are all meant to be broken. At least I've heard that before. But when I read this, Jesus Christ is sitting there telling them, this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to be raised from the dead. They're scared. They're feeling like, oh no, the person that we've been following is going to leave us. What are we going to do? They're not sure about what he's talking about, about being raised from the dead. Never seen it happen before. Never seen how I see him raising other people from the dead. But now you're talking about him hanging on the cross. And he's still going to pull this one off. And this week became a real jumping off point for me. And I mean that in a literal sense. On Wednesday when we got to camp, I told the youth that one of the things that I had done is I had reserved our high ropes course for us. How many people like high ropes? Okay, you're idiots. Uh, no. <laughs> high ropes, man. 
They strap you in a harness. They put a helmet on your head. They go up there. They say, do this, do that, do that. Oh, I guarantee you nothing's going to happen to you. And you're sitting there looking at, I'm looking at a piece of metal shaped like a C. And I'm looking at me, it looks like about a 500 pound dead weight. And that guy's up there promising me that when I'm crawling around up there, and I'm going to be very honest with this. And Josh, you didn't even know this. Yes, I have a fear of heights, but I had never been on a high ropes course before. And I dreaded it every step that I walked up there. But I said, I'm going to do it. Jeff, you're going to do something in your life. Call it a bucket list when you get to 50. I, I figured that out. When I turned 50, hey, man, it's all downhill from here. It's all down off a wall up there. But hey, he goes, you're going to zip line onto it. And I went and I said, I don't know about that cable. I feel sorry for that cable. I, I just imagine the cable has some kind of feeling going, ow, ow, get him off of me. But they hooked me into the harness and they shot me across. And while I'm up there, Josh was up there. Of course, you have people like Josh Kennedy and David Sherman and Tyler who don't have a problem. They're very nimble in who you really want to push off just because they get on your nerves. You have Brett up there with God loving. Brett's taken after his father in a lot of ways. Hopefully, he keeps his hair. And you have Brianna in Brooklyn. And but at some time during that course, both of them had hollered out, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm sitting there going, oh, sure you can. And while I'm in my mind going, Jeff, you can't do this. Yeah, you can't do, do you? I look at Josh and I said, how did you get from there? Oh, I just took a big step. I said, son, I do a big step like that. Something's going to rip and it's not my pants. I mean, I'm going to be in the hospital traction. But I did. And as I stepped out, and I began to walk across, and I watched my children walk to the end, there comes to the part where you have finished it. And we're applauding the kids and so excited for them. And Brooklyn got on, and she zipped line. Well, Brooklyn weighs so little, she zipped about halfway, and she didn't have enough weight to carry her to the end. So they had to actually go hook her and pull her to the end. They're going, she's still way up there. I'm going, I don't know. You figured out. And then Brianna got there. And when I read this piece of scripture about having to step out, I'm sitting on a podium about like this, and I'm looking straight over at my daughter, and they have an apparatus where they hook you onto it and you bungee line down. Yeah. And when you bungee line down, it, it, it's called a static line. It slows you down. It doesn't come down at full speed. If that was true, there would be a big pit at the bottom of it because some of us were pretty good size and hit it. But I'm sitting there watching her, and she's just got tears coming down her eyes, and she goes, Dad, I can't do it. And I'm lying through my teeth. I said, oh, sure you can, hon. Believe me. And it finally came to a point, I said, stop looking down and look at my eyes and just step off. And she did. And she hit the ground with a lot of excitement. And exclaimed, I'll never do that again. <laughs> church, we're blessed. And I love the church because so many times we come up to an edge and we see how deep and how hard it's going to be. We can see pain and struggling down there, but still we step out and we do it because that is where God has led us to do it. And every time that I walk to that edge, the only eyes I see 
are my saviors. And he's telling me, he says, Jeff, it doesn't matter whether you leave to be 5, 15, 50, or 150. You can trust me. When Jesus made this promise, he knew that he was going to keep it. And when we kind of shy away from moving forward or struggling and, and we question, well, is it going to really be okay? Are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? If you're looking at Christ's eyes, we should know that there is no way it can't be okay. He loves us that much. Last piece of scripture is this. It says in Jesus' resurrection, it talks about it in Matthew 28, 5 through 6. It said, the angel said to the woman, don't be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him now that I've told you. Church, it's like this. We can sit inside of this room every week and we can get our dose of holiness and we can walk out there and find fault with everybody else in the world in the way that they believe. But that's not what our Savior ever did. Instead, he went to a cross and died for thieves, liars, murderers, prostitutes, homosexuals. He died for the people that would bear false witness, that would cheat their per, the person that lived next to them, that cheat on their wife and their family. And you know what some of that stuff feels like because you've got that in your own lives. You've had people that have made you promises. The people that make you promises like this. You know what? I am going to love you till the end of the time. But you know what? The end of time is only like five years and then they're gone. And being a youth minister, I get a heavy dose of that. Because the biggest thing I get to deal with, and I don't have a problem with it, is watching students as they struggle, as they try to figure out what the whole word love means. Because they've got people promising them love, and really what they mean is, I will love you until the next one comes along, or until a better one comes along. And church, we can't be that way. We have to love no matter what. We have to open up these doors and rush out, not with condemnation, not with hatred, not with we're right and you're wrong, but with L-O-V-E. Because this broken world is where we were at one time in our lives. This world is still fighting the battle and the struggle to find Christ. We're just blessed because we've already done it. So that's why I pound away at the fact that you need to be a part of a discipleship group. 
You want to call it Sunday school classes on Sunday, connection groups. You need to be with fellow Christians because together you can work to change Burlington, Boone County, Kentucky, the United States of America, the world. Because the person that started the church wasn't even in our hemisphere. And it still got here, didn't it? One mind-blowing thought that was shared this week was right now, and I'm going to mess this up, but the United States ranks third highest in the world in unbelievers. We're sending, I mean, China's number one. And I can't remember, is India number two? I think India's number two, and the United States is number three. And yet, a lot of us walk into church every week, and we try to tell everybody else how to live our own lives, and we're sitting here watching our own country walk back out the door. I'll take you to England with me. I'll show you what it looks like when they close the doors of the churches. But statistics say that 72 churches close their door every day in the United States. Granted, we're talking about buildings. But at one time, there had to be people in there. So my challenge for you today is this. What kind of a church are we going to be from now on? God's got a great plan and a great future. Do I know what it is? Absolutely not. But he does. I was blessed to become a member of this church and this body 16 years ago. And I got to celebrate crying my youngest daughter knowing Jesus Christ. And that's because of you guys. I'm getting ready to start again. Because you guys poured into her life, in our lives... Let's get off our collective, and I told him in the first service, I said, well, get off here, and I had to stop. Just can't say the word that probably would fit here with some people, but let's get off our theology, back on our feet, and use our salvation. Use that gift. There are two people, two kinds of people in this room today. There are people in this room that know Jesus Christ You have a relationship, and you're blessed, and you're lucky. But wherever you go in your life, you have to use that. Not just walking in here, sitting down and walking out and saying, see you next week. The other kind of people that could be in this room are people that are looking for someone they can actually trust, that will keep a promise, just like Christ did. When that angel said that, it was fulfilled. And if you happen to be somebody that walked in this room today and you go, you just don't know this stuff. You want me to tell you something? Ah, I want you to know this so bad that if it's not me that knows what you're going through, I can guarantee you I can find somebody in our church body that knows what you're going through. And they will love and pray with you. 
They'll show you the love of Christ. Who better to reach a world of sinners than a bunch of sinners? And that's the thought that keeps me moving forward every day. Guys, I'm excited. I'm excited because God has put us on a path none of us expected to be or wanted to be on. We need to get past finding fault and move forward. And when we do that, we are going to be blown away with the way that Jesus Christ gains another victory in Boone County, in Kentucky, in our world. If you're here and you don't know Christ today, please, please, just come up here. If I start crying, you'll have to help me through it. But come up here, I want to share with you a risen Savior that loves you that much. If you're here, maybe you've got some stuff that you drug in here and you need to leave it here. That's what we say at youth camp. Leave all that garbage there and come back a new person. You can exit those doors today a different person. You can use the altar and just come up and have that one-on-one time with God that seems to get pushed to the side because you're too hectic, your schedule's too full, and I don't have any other time. Come up here and pray. You want somebody to pray with you? They'll come up here and pray with you. If it's a time of reflection... We have the Lord's Supper up here. Maybe for you, maybe for your whole family. But I want you to feel the excitement that comes with being in church. It's the excitement that I get to live and serve with every day. I've worked in a couple of different careers, and this is the only one that I actually get excited about every day. I wish you guys could feel that all the time. It's love and it's compassion. It's the church. Let's stand.